Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican Communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. Teens need to be anchored. We want them to know that they are claimed, adopted, that they belong, that God has made an identity claim on them, whether they feel it or not. Teens need us to tell them things that are true. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Youth group, Sunday school, church camp. When I said those things, what was your reaction? Did you get a smile on your face? One of those nostalgic, wispy smiles. Did you have a mild cardiac infarction? Are you in the thick of trying to organize a program for the new school year, get enough volunteers on board? Whether you've led a youth ministry or not, whether you think you'd enjoy it or not, we have all been teenagers. And many, many of us have memories associated with teen formation in different Christian contexts, from pies in the face for Jesus to inductive Bible studies to folk music and popcorn prayer. There have been many ways to approach ministry to young people. And there tends to be this pendulum swing. We get really serious down to the no funny business of Christian discipleship and life transformation Or we hang out with pizza and some games and pray that with a lot of grace and no pressure, something eventually happens God-wise. Well, what I took away from my conversation with our guest today is that ministry to teens is a lot about sensing how to strike a wise balance. And it's a lot, a lot about my own security and maturity as a Christian adult. Today, we'll talk about the importance of the heart and feelings in teen catechesis, how to engage teens emotionally without making it all about feelings, how to invite questions that drive into the faith rather than away from it, how we can have confidence and clarity without harshness when we work with teens, and why we should love the Bible more than good behavior. Taking us to this magical and mysterious land of youth ministry is Melina Luna-Smith. Melina is executive director of Storymakers, which is a not-for-profit creative studio that designs imaginative resources for kids and teens, including Bible and creed immersive zines. She is deep in lay ministry at the parish of Calvary St. George's in New York City, 
and she loves working at the intersections of design, beauty, and imagination for the good of communities and the kingdom of God. And hey, if you like this conversation, you can join us at our preaching conference at the Parish of Calvary St. George's this November. It's Molina's Parish. It'll be a refresher and refreshing course in communicating God's word. If you're interested, just go to livingchurch.org forward slash events, or you got it, click the link in the show notes today. Now put on your most normal looking mom jeans and grab your Bible. It's time to be exactly yourself with young people and share the gospel in a real and lasting way. It's possible, and maybe it's not even that complicated. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Mel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped. All right. Are you super pumped to be in New York in the summertime? Was it just a death trap of heat yeah. over there? What's going on? Yeah, it's it's a bit warm. I love the city in the summer. People leave. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to be there in November. I'm super excited for that. It's going to be great. So I do want to talk a little bit about Storymakers today. And you you guys advertise with us in the magazine, full disclosure for everyone. Yeah. We love Storymakers. They buy ads from us. We love these people. But I, I, I want to use it as a touch point for why you do what you do and how ministry to teenagers works and what you've discovered through sort of giving birth to the Storymakers idea and then seeing it bear fruit in actual parish contexts. Mel, please tell me a little bit about your story. Where are you coming from? How did you come to do what you do, creating catechetical materials for kids and teens in New York City? How, how did you become the kind of person who would see that need and help feel, fill this niche in this particular way? Yeah, well, it kind of, it came to me as a surprise, I think as like all God things, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> I was in the field of like family services. I loved what I did. I love problem solving. I like to see how families can connect, how grownups and teens can connect. And when we dropped into the, our church, they just, they didn't have kids programming. And I felt, you know, a serious part of formation. I'm not even thinking about it in terms of like Christian formation. I just think humans need formation in like, who am I? Like, how do I think God sees me? And they didn't have any programming here. So I thought, well, I'll just start something. And, you know, we're, we're in New York, we've got artists in our church and we started something called creative arts camp. And it was a super immersive experience and it had a profound impact on the kids that participated and the adults that were engaged. And so over the years, other clergy colleagues of my husband's were asking like, hey, can Mel send us at Creative Arts Camp? Like, how do we get that? Like, what are you guys doing? Seems like you guys are doing a lot of grace-based content. Like, how do we get that? So we raised money in 2018 and I had this idea and I think it really comes from partly you know, Madeline Langle has a book called Walking on Water. I don't mm -hmm. know if you read that. It's oh yeah, I'm really familiar book. with it. Yeah, yeah. So great. But that whole idea of like, God is the creator and we're, we're image bearers. And, and this idea of story makers came to me in that like, God's the ultimate story maker, but we're story makers too. And when we embody the story and when we create and when we're getting tactile, we build connection with one another, community is fostered. 
And so it came to life in 2018. We launched a couple zines in 2019, and now we've got 22 zines. And, you know, I was, my goal, my hope was that kids would dive into these stories of the Bible. They would feel that it's a living thing. If I'm listening to this as someone who is in charge of a congregation or part of a family or children's or teen ministry, one of the things that I might hear is that when you got to Calvary St. George, you noticed a need, but then you also noticed the people that you had in the congregation. And you realized you're in the middle of Manhattan, you have a bunch of artists, you have a bunch of creatives. And then this is what naturally developed mm-hmm. is a ministry of and through the arts. So I find that interesting that that's that that may be something that could be a key takeaway for some folks is just to notice who's there because you're not going to always have brilliant artists around to be your, you know, developers and youth leaders. And if not, you maybe could get some curriculum from story makers, but you know, whatever, you got to find your own jam. But I have a friend who's, who's a children's minister. And one of her biggest approaches to VBS is to go in a congregation and to say, who are the people in your congregation who know how to do interesting things and Mm -hmm. like archery, building a fire, learning, you know, how to cook certain things from scratch or learning about animals, whatever it may be, and bring them in for workshops and just use the people that you have in your congregation. And then not only are you teaching things, but you're also building community and you're getting mm-hmm. young people involved in a really hands-on way. So I just, that, that doesn't lead to a question for you, but I just wanted to, to point that out, that that's something you also did is you noticed who was there. Yeah, I think that's I think that's key in ministry in general, like having a sense of awareness, right? So it's like who has God put in this place for this time and this moment and how can you imagine their, you know, their skills being used to participate in the community and for them to feel encouraged in their own gifting, you know? So that's, the, I think, the tough thing about getting volunteers because they're like, well, I'm not a Bible expert. Or I didn't go to theology school. You know, I can't really do that. And that that's very true for parents and especially millennials. They are the least biblically literate generation. And so I think that they're going to have a really hard time feeling confident to jump into the stories of the Bible. So, you know, you want to try and find the places where grownups feel confident and a place where they can build connection. Yeah, and bringing them along into the story together. Yeah, that's a really great point. Mm-hmm. Melina, can I take a little rabbit trail to just ask whether you grew up in church? And, and if you did, what was your experience of formation, especially as a teenager? Did you Were you in church as a teenager? Yeah, I grew up in the church. My parents were you know, Mex- they are Mexican. They weren't. <laughs> they currently still are Mexican. They, you know, Catholic, and they got saved when they first got married. And so then we were, were in a Pentecostal Bible church as kids. And then we, yeah, we were raised in like big non denom churches. And I always sort of wondered, what's the history of the church? Like, it didn't oh. just start like in the 70s, right? Like, I would go to mass with my grandfather sometimes. And I thought, well, I really like this, you know, Mm. it feels like grounded or something. And so I grew up 
in a very evangelical setting. And I mean, I did learn the Bible there. So that's, you know, major plus. And, but then when I got to college, I thought I want to find something that's older, like really older than me, (laughs) you know, well beyond me. And so I ended up in the Anglo Anglo Catholic church. I was raised with, you know, a little bit of Turner burn (laughs) as a kid, but, you know, as I grew, I realized you know, formation can be a different experience. And, you know, we're just always being formed and shaped. We're never fully cooked. So Mm -hmm. that's very true. Some of us are more squishy than others. And it usually doesn't help to poke around and try to guess who's more fully cooked and who's not. Well, that's really helpful. And I think that also provides an insight because story makers does work with the Bible, which you've already mentioned, telling entering into the stories of the Bible, asking questions of the stories of the Bible, but also the creed, which I find really interesting. You do the same to the creed. You're, you are bringing young people into the creed line by line and investigating what, what it means. So you sort of have a, if I could put it this way, kind of like a Bible survey, and then you've got a kind of a systematic theology. I mean, you're going line by line and investigating these claims of of the creed, these claims of Christian faith and hope, and inviting teens to ask questions about them. And uh, it seems to me that that's that that's really important to you to right away be connecting teens, whether they are brand new to the faith or just exploring, or they're just coming to church with a friend right away. We're, we're locking them into scripture, the stories, of the Bible, but also this sense of rich Christian tradition. Am I, am I reading that right? That that's a real priority for you? Yeah, it definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, for myself, I th- I was always like an inquisitive person around these, around like faith questions, but I think Gen Z and Alpha, they want to know what they're buying into. These are both very open generations spiritually. All of Barna research is like pointing in that direction. And so we might as well tell them like what we believe and why we believe it and why they could entrust their faith into this historical tradition, you know, and what value does that have for them? So I think that that's a great place to start. And, and, you know, I think what ends up happening with a lot of youth ministry content is you kind of go out of Sunday school content and then sort of launch into like behavioral modification content. Now that you know the Bible, this is how you're going to live your life. I don't know. They've got like 30 minutes once a week. And then for them to go from you know, knowing a little bit of the Bible and then asking them to like live a particular life. I think that's a lot to ask. It's like, well, I kind of learned these stories. They seemed really fun. It was fun and imaginative. And now I need to get my life together. And so I think that that's, you know, sort of to, that's to miss a real opportunity for our teens and to capture their imaginations and their hearts and meet them where they are. What I'm sort of hearing is it's not that that transition ought never to happen in in the life of a of a believer but that it's something that needs to be done with care and some definite cultivation of the imagination and of the heart and of the desires and make sure that these stories are getting deep enough 
that the transformation of life or, you know, if you, we could say behavior modification or whatever, that that actually becomes a deeper discipleship moment because we've taken the time to really, really cultivate, to really ask good questions, to invite the questions rather than cut them off. I, I seem to notice, by the way, that you do invite some questions that in other contexts would feel really awkward, such as, how do you feel about the claim that Jesus rescues you? How does it make you feel? I was just like, wow, it's a lot of feeling language. Like, what do you mean? How do I feel about the creed? But then, so it bothered me a little, I'm going to confess. But then I thought like, well, we're going to have feelings about it, whether we let ourselves admit it or not. And so I wanted to ask you a little about that strategy of just sort of like getting these questions out of the way. Is that part of this yeah. deeper strategy? Yeah, I've worked well, I, for a decade. I worked as a behavior therapist and I worked with teens and really challenging kids and scenarios. So the way that I was able to connect with teens was through like like through art, visuals, and emotional connection. Like that was through and through like a constant, I was always able to connect and penetrate in the places that seemed really impossible. And so I applied that experience and that logic because Gen Z is hyper aware of feelings and emotions. And because like alpha are, you know, parents are millennials, they are, you know, more likely to be in therapy. So there's just so, so much more exposure to social emotional learning in than previous generations. I think this is going to be really a key way for youth and family ministers to stay connected to teens. They've got to get to a place where it touches their hearts and it touches their minds. Like it needs to make logical sense in some ways for them but it also has to have like emotional meaning for them. And we also know like Gen Z and Alpha are struggling with anxiety and depression. And so we want to be able for them to be able to work through like their emotional intelligence and to build that out and to have context for that. So youth and groups can be a great place for that. That should be a place where kids can be vulnerable. They can share who they are and that they can know that God is for them. So a couple of questions there. One is, let's say, you know, someone is trying to figure out how do I communicate? How do I teach the Bible? How do I mentor young people? And they want to engage the questions. They don't want to make Christianity an awkward thing where you're just like, there's all kinds of elephants in the room. You want to make this a comfortable space, an emotionally connective space. But you also definitely want to clearly say, you know, we, we really believe these things are true and isn't it wild. Yeah. And for a couple millennia now, people have lived and died for this stuff to have like an encounter with something that is in a sense objective. Mm -hmm. And then to invite in that space, all of the, the storms of human questions and emotions and the development that goes along with that, the developmental process. So basically what I'm asking is, how does a person invite this without like youth group or Sunday school or teaching time to become like a feeling fest? What have you put in place or what are you discovering about how to have that balance? Teens need to be anchored. You know, I think that so much teen content out there can be very feelings driven. We can't just be fully led by our 
emotions in adolescence and hope to land in truth on our own because there's so much happening with them cognitively and just hormonally, you know, on their own, they'll never land there. And it's our job as grownups to facilitate a space of, you know, safety and and openness and vulnerability. And at the same time, tell them something that's true. Remind them who they are and who God is towards them. We just launched the identity issue and that's all that's tethered all around the Lord's Prayer. And you know, our whole premise is as teen youth group leaders facilitate this curriculum that whether teens ever figure themselves out, it doesn't really matter. At the end of this curriculum, we want them to know that they are claimed, adopted, that they belong, that God has made a identity claim on them, whether they feel it or not. That's just objective truth. And the same is true for the faith volume as well. So we sort of, we each each volume starts off like kind of soft so you can build that safety vulnerability, the questions. And then you get to the end of each of those zines and you realize like we are really telling them straight up like what we think and what we think is true. And I think that's the thing we can take, you know, we can lean into with Gen Z and Alpha. They don't want us to pretend and we don't want us to sell them something that we are hoping that they will buy into. They just, they want to know what we think. They want to know what is true and then allow them to sort of sit with it. And I think grownups need to get comfortable with being able to say like, these are true things. And, you know, whether you engage with it in the way that I hope you do or not, like, we just have to trust the Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide them to all mm-hmm. truth and righteousness. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a bit of a trust thing for on the grown-up side. And, and I think it's also important for grown-ups to remember that teens need us to tell them things that are true mm. and we can still be their friends and we can still be engaged with them and we can still have trust and we don't have to try and just please them. That's, I think the awkward thing. I think that's what teens don't like. I think that's like what they rail against. Like, oh, this grown-up really wants me to like them. Like that's the worst. They just need secure grown-ups who love them and are ready to engage them. And then that's almost certainly a recipe for then being cool. Like being one of those cool adults is when you're just, just please be yourself. I did youth ministry for a few years and volunteers, trying to get volunteers, a lot of the resistance is that they feel like they're not youthful enough or they're not cool, blah, blah, blah. And I just had to tell them like, look, like if you can get in a room and you can love people younger than you and you can be real with them and you can, sometimes you need to keep your temper and keep your cool, you know, and not say all the, what you're thinking, you know, but if you can do that, then they're going to, they're going to think you're cool. They're going to like you. Like it's, it's, you know, whatever. It's yeah. not about, I mean, wear your dad jeans, you know? Yeah. Be who Look, you are. Like, yeah, be who you are. I was going to say, wear your dad jeans and your giant Adidas shoes, but that's actually really hip. That's actually very cool. <laughs> actually like really, it wasn't eight years ago, but it so is now. Hey there, podcast listener. 
If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you probably know that The Living Church is not just a podcast. Oh no, my friend. TLC is a publishing ministry with a unique magazine, independent church news reporting, a stellar theology blog, resources for parish ministry, many of them free. I could go on. Stop me now. Stop me now. We're rooted in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion, but we have a big heart for the unity of all God's people. You know that I love that you're here, but I don't want you to just stay in the podcast space and miss out on other ways our ministry might serve you. You can go to livingchurch.org and see what all TLC offers. How can we serve you today? One way we might serve you is coming up in September. We're hosting an event with an amazing community of friends at All Souls Episcopal Church in Oklahoma City, a conference called The Human Pilgrimage. What does it mean to be human? How do we live fully as creatures loved, limited, and liberated by God? Join The Living Church September 26th to 28th in Oklahoma City and be refreshed by three days of world-class keynotes, friendship, and meditation on who we are as creatures in Christ. Right now, you also get 15% off all tickets with the promo code EARLYBIRD. Go to livingchurch.org forward slash events for more information and to buy your tickets. And I hope to see you there. Melina, I am wondering now what you have seen on the ground through some of this. So we're so we're not going among young people and saying just like, well, who do you think God is? Who do you who do you feel that he is today? But we what we're doing is we're saying, well, this is who he says he is. How do you feel about that? What what are we going to do with that? And so we we kind of play around in those waters, which are two very different things. I'm wondering now how you've seen this approach hit the ground. One question I have for you is what are some of the biggest questions about the Bible or the tenets of the creed that you have heard teenagers ask? Are there some similar themes in the questions that they're bringing to the table that would be helpful for people to know as they're approaching youth ministry? We are in New York and there is so much diversity. And I think teens happen to be pretty comfortable with difference here. There's just this confidence of like, oh, my best friend is, you know, he's Buddhist, but I'm a Christian. That's not a conflict for them. And I think the same is probably true across the country. And we we hear that and see that in, you know, people as people are engaging the creed and, and this new zine. There's just a comfortability with things being different, like not having to be homogenous. So I think we should be comfortable with like saying what we actually think. So that's just one thing. But the other thing is, is I think that, you know, I think that what teens get wrapped up with is like the political scene with how Mm -hmm. adults are behaving in -hmm. relation to how they're, you know, what we're communicating as faith. So that's something that comes up pretty often. It's like, I think because things have been so tumultuous, especially for Gen Z, and they're just so aware of like what people purporting as like what they care about and also what their faith values are. I think that's been something that seems to be an issue for them to like reconcile. Yeah. Gosh, I'm wondering what I would do if, if I was in, if I was, you know, the mentor of a small group or something and, and uh, these questions were coming up, I certainly would want to talk about them. I think they're some of the most interesting conversations you can have with young people. I've never thought about this before, but what would I send teenagers to 
other than really good people to talk to, mm-hmm. to understand how did Christianity start to look certain ways in the United States, for example. I mean, it's a complicated mm-hmm. story. So mm-hmm. what do you do? I mean, I think that that's why the fundamentals are so important, right? So I think that's why the creed is key because, you know, I think we can say like Christians were in conflict and people had to get together and say like, who's Jesus and what do we believe about what he did and said about himself? And so I think when we're seeing all this political strife on the exterior and humans being humans, we can say like, yeah, this is part of the human condition experience like you can see it in the bible we can see it in the history of you know humanity and at the center of it these are our core values and this is what we have to hang on to and this is what's carried christians to this point and this is what's going to carry us on mm. and so that's why it's i think those are the those essentials are so important like how do i feel about being rescued well Kids can see outside, like those people need to be rescued. It's like, well, that's true about me too. You know, that situation needs to be rescued and I need to be rescued too. Yeah. I also see so much opportunity in this tension between learning the basics, really getting them in at the gut level, and then engaging with how adults around you are acting, what decisions are being made in Congress what's going on at your school, that this is a perfect place to learn discernment and to invite and actually like an invitation to say, wow, I need, I need help. You know, I need saving. And part of that is needing the Holy spirit to help me understand and to help me live my life and make that leap to, well, then what does my life look like in light of these, these basics of the faith that are so compelling if they become compelling to me and living this out in a complicated world of which I'm a part, I need somebody to help me. I need the Holy spirit. So that leads me to a transition from a Sunday school or a confirmation class kind of setting to the worship setting to, you know, moving into Christian community moving into being baptized and receiving the Eucharist or continuing to explore the faith by participating in worship with a congregation, moving into the space where you're encountering God and have Mm -hmm. the potential to ask him to fill you and Mm -hmm. to lead you, you know, lead your life. And then it's this really personal connection in community that's leading you forward in discipleship. How does how does that transition work from the book and the small group, the awesome zine to mm-hmm. entering into the life of God's people in the liturgy and daily life? Yeah. So the way that we do it here at Cal St. G, I just, I think they, our youth and family leaders do such an incredible job with it. Teens arrive to church, they do the collect, then they go into the chapel and they do the teen zine. And then in preparation before communion starts, they do a check-in. It's like, why are we doing this? What does this really mean? And how does this connect to where we're about to go? And so there's like a mindset that is being put in place or questions that are being put in place as they like go in to engage. Or when there's a baptism, it's like, what do we you know, what are we about to witness or witnessing a miracle? You know, we know these people. This is what this actually means. 
there's so many opportunities in a liturgical church setting that offers those like very tactile connections like that are super meaningful and make great connects. I think the church has a great opportunity, especially with Gen Z, because they've been so oversaturated with like noise and allowing kids or inviting kids into worship spaces that are that cause you to stop and think and breathe, I think are going to be very meaningful for them as adults, like growing into just a healthy adulthood. So I think in that worship, in a way that's not hyperactive in a very loud, aggressive way, I know it's counterintuitive, but I think it's actually going to be really great approach for the next generation. Mm, Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because you, your zines are very much for teenagers. They're beautiful to look at. You have a crack design team. These these are amazing catechetical materials that you have, but the whole church service is not like for teens. You know, this is like the life of God's people for people of all ages. (laughs) So it's like, we're going from a space where, you know, this is in a way sort of all about you. And, Mm -hmm. and we want to speak to you. We want to speak to you at your developmental level. And so this is maybe when you pull people of a certain age group aside, anyone who works in family ministry already knows this, but it's just sort of occurring to me afresh. So maybe we could all use a reminder that this is the time for them to really meet them where they are, to use the bright colors, to bring out more of the sort of age appropriate pizzazz for them, Mm -hmm. like pull out the stops. You know, this isn't the time to try to also be what they're going to get when they walk into the church service. Yeah. So like, it's okay to be a little more silly, to be engaging the arts in creative ways, or to have an inductive Bible study that goes on, you know, off to eight or 12 rabbit trails. Things don't always have to be tied up neatly. And then we transition to a service that is intergenerational. It's just profound in a different way because God's grace is infused into this space for all ages. So you're being called up like to a higher level because it's not all about you. Um, No, and what a gift. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, I have a teenager and I can see like the struggle of the navel gazing. Like, I mean, the poor kid, I'm like, I, I pray for you to have a moment where you don't have to think about yourself today. You know, it's just, (laughs) it is the reality in which they live. Like they, you, they get caught up in obsessive, you know, intrusive thoughts and like, you know, so for them, for us to introduce church as a moment to like be pulled outside of yourself is such a gift. It's such a relief, you know, it may seem really boring, but it's really good for their brains. And it's, and it's, and it's also a trust in the Holy spirit. You know, I think that, you know, we can have a high view of the Holy spirit and trust that the Holy spirit is at work and, you know, whether they seem really bored or disengaged, something is happening always. Melina, what mistakes do you think adults often make when they're communicating with young people, especially when they're communicating the word of God? I think there's two things that happen. And I think either one, we approach teens with an opportunity to like, you know, children of the future, they're going to save us from racism. They're going to save the planet. Like we 
we burden them with all of our problems and mm -hmm. we forget that they're going to have their own problems as adults. And we see them as an opportunity to like undo the things that we're sort of struggling with and living with as adults. I think the other thing we do is we have a high emphasis on moralism and behavior modification. We hope that kids, you know, don't engage in certain behaviors or that they demonstrate certain values or they have, you know, they communicate in a very specific way that makes grown-ups feel comfortable and makes us feel like, oh, they're okay. They're gonna be, they're gonna be safe. And so I think that we forget that the story worked on us, right? That Jesus came to us, that Jesus was a protagonist in our own lives, and that we can trust that Jesus is going to do the same thing for these kids. He loves these kids way more than we could ever imagine. And so I think it comes down to control factors, right? So hmm. whatever we're freaked out about as grownups, and we want them to perform in a specific way so that we feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so self-awareness is important. I think when you come into any ministry, whether you're, you're with kids or grownups or whoever you're with, having self-awareness, what you're bringing, why you're engaging is super important. And that's something you can ask for forgiveness for. It's like, mm -hmm. I know I'm afraid of this specific thing. Please, Jesus, don't let me bring that to the table at this moment. You know, yeah, relieve yeah. me of my own self problem, my own yeah. issues. <laughs> And I mean, I think there's a certain amount of damage control or reverse engineering that we all try to do when we are coming to youth ministry. Like, you know, you can like, for example, it took a while for you to get in touch with the riches of, of the Christian tradition and what, you know, the grounding that that brought to you. And so yeah. that becomes an important part of your ministry. And, but there's a difference between deciding what was what was missing for you and saying, you know what, I'd really like to set the table with the food that I didn't get when I was that age. There's mm -hmm. a difference between that and saying, eat it, kid. You know, we've got so much baggage from who knows what in our childhoods or weren't we weren't potty trained at the right time or whatever <laughs> it is um, that if we're setting the table, asking for God's help, you know, repenting of our own sins trying to be sensitive to the needs of, of people who are not us and are not our age and being self-aware that it's the Lord's table really. And that he's the one who's helping people to be nourished. He's the one who's presenting himself actually. And I think too, when we stay connected to our own need and then, then we're pointing them, you know, when we're, when we're aware of like how God is, has met us or is continuing to meet us, then that's something that we're like joyfully inviting them into, right? Mm, so it's like, mm -hmm. like, isn't this awesome that like the Holy Spirit's with us all the time? Because I definitely need that all the time. <laughs> I need that reminder. So I think, yeah, having an authentic connection to the need as grownups, I think is key. Self-awareness, emotional maturity, mm -hmm. spiritual maturity, and joy in the faith are just... Yeah irreplaceable. If you are out there and you're looking for youth volunteers, choose people who love God, whom, you know, who God is giving wisdom and self-awareness to, who are fil filled with the Holy Spirit. And unless they just really don't like teenagers at all, I think it would be really hard to go wrong. I just did a creative arts camp this last season, this like two weeks ago. 
And my co-teacher was 96. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it's just me and him. And he is an artist. So he did the Noah, illustrated the Noah. But he was just so excited. And, you know, I mean, there you go. And the kids loved him, (laughs) adored him. And, you know, so just, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Amber. Mel, could you share a story about someone helping teens engage faith through the arts? You know, I think teens aren't given like the opportunity to be tactile enough and to get to create with their hands. They live in such a digital space and there's a lot of assumptions about what would be boring for them and what wouldn't be engaging for them. And I think we also assume a level of like maturity or adulthood on them. And so maybe they don't want to create anymore. They don't want to make stuff anymore. But I've had a handful of times with teens and even tough teens that don't want to engage. And I've had cohorts, I guess, or scenarios with youth group kids that have like engaged with cutting and pasting and collaging. I think collaging is an amazing way to like engage teens that has been like really meaningful. They talk to each other and then there's like community built and hours are passed and no one would ever assume like, oh, teens want to do collaging. Just grab a group of kids, give them a bunch of raw materials and see what happens. I would say the other way, the other thing too, is like through our, do the visuals, a lot of artists have donated their photography, their art, and that's what we have in the zine. It's a great point of entry. If you feel awkward about talking to teens, visuals is a great way, like a backdoor. If you have interesting art that identifies like kind of the chaos of the world, but points towards hope, which I think is really important, not just chaotic art, not just art that's like destructive without any, any connection to, the, to God. But I think having visuals that are really interesting is a really great great way to engage, especially if you don't feel comfortable playing and getting tactile. That's what I've really seen. It's like, they're like little kids. It's They came in really cool and now they're collaging. <laughs> I would not have guessed about the collage. Collage That's is adorable. Huge. If there's anything yeah. I would want to see, it's just like a room of 16 and 17 year old boys making a collage. Yeah, they loved it. I want to ask a question now about engaging teens and budget. So you are the executive director of a creative design studio. You have a product that some people are going to be able to afford and really benefit from. And there are going to be also parishes who are like, I have literally a budget of almost $0 for the year. Right, right, right. (laughs) We can buy ice cream once a year. Everyone splits a blizzard at Dairy Queen. Um, But then you have other congregations who have enormous budgets for youth ministry, tons of volunteers, bouncy houses, bouncy houses, (laughs) water park in the backyard. So I want to start with a church that doesn't have a lot of resources or maybe not a lot of volunteers. Now, some churches don't have any money, but they've got lots of great people. But let's just say this is a church that's struggling in both areas. What do you think are the top things that they might do to help teens explore and grow in faith? I mean, I will say we do have a batch church match program. So if you're a small church, you're under-resourced, you just apply to our match program and we will resource you. Awesome. hundred percent. But if you don't do that, 
I would say, you know, it's really tough. Like, I think you do need guidance. You do need a curriculum. You need something to tether you in your approach because teens need to know what they're buying into, right? So you're taking their time and you're inviting them into something. So I think whatever you invite them into, there has to be a beginning, middle, and end. It has to be clearly communicated. They have to know what they're getting involved with. And then they'll engage, you know, they'll be committed. I think that's a problem with the church that sometimes we don't over communicate and we make a lot of assumptions and we're like, well, we hoped that they would come to this event. This, you know, we had pizza, but it's like, no, you need to think about like your year, like what, what are your goals? What are you hoping to achieve? And they're busy. Yeah. They're super busy. They're so occupied. That's why we do it during church. So I think that you have to be really clear about their time and how important it is to them. And you, you want to really communicate like what you're getting them involved with. Now, what about this church that's got an enormous budget, tons of volunteers, they hardly know what to do with themselves. If this, if you were in charge, what mm-hmm. could they do with their money and time? What are, you know, the top two or three places that they could concentrate? Yeah, I, I would say that entertainment and overstimulation is like the killer of formation. (laughs) I think when you have a, when you're over-resourced, you, you know, and you have all the possibilities, you can think about a million ways you could, you know, engage them, entertain them, buy them stuff. And actually they don't need any of that. They need to be tactile. They want connection. They want, they want to know that the grownups there are for them and they want to have you know, something meaningful at the end. So just like the under-resourced church, the over-resourced church, they need to know the beginning, middle, and end. They don't need to be over-programmed. I would like put on a VBS or play or like a retelling of a story. I would have teens building sets. I would have teens, you know, engaging in all the ways that they creatively want to engage. And I would keep it so tactile. This is communal and way more meaningful, I think, than, you know, going to all the water parks. I mean, water parks are fun. And I think that's important too, that builds community. But I think entertainment as a centerpiece is a killer because once they get to church as adults and there are no more water slides, then it's really hard to maintain engagement because you're, you, you haven't, you haven't been built for it. It's just the boring old baptismal font. Yeah, no water like, slides, just that boring old font. <laughs> What's it even doing there? Yeah, there's no so, sprinkler. Yeah, and you want to and you want to help them build the ability to engage as adults and for them to be able to sit in the ordinary times, so that they know that life can be very ordinary and God is still there and working in those spaces. Yeah. And the church calendar is a great way for them to understand the beginning, the middle and the end. And we didn't even touch on that, but that could just be a great tool to say, here's what's to it. Here's what you can expect for the whole year. It's called the church calendar. Here's what it looks like. Here's the colors, you know, plus here's what we're going to be doing. Yeah. It's like God knew what we needed or something (laughs) and gave us like a rhythm for life. And, you know, I think we imagine that kids can't handle the hard bits, but guess what? Kids and teens deal with hard stuff all the time, and they need to know that God is in the middle of those situations. And so if we over-entertain them, 
then they're not going to know what to do when their like parents die or something terrible happens. Then, you know, then they're asking like, where's God, where's God in this situation? It's like, well, you know, you know what Lent is all about. And, you know, they have context for when things are not good and they can see that God is in those places too. I think Roald Dahl does a really good job of that. He always says the really scary, hard thing right up front in most of his books and kids love his books, right? And so I think that we can take a note from that as a church. Like we don't have to, everything doesn't have to be bubblegum. Like let them build it and they will come. Just sort of like let them participate in the life of the church. Let them participate in building a set for a play that explores the story of Noah's Ark. Let them be a part of the church calendar that's been around for centuries. Let them be a part of this. And it's going to be compelling to them in a way that it's compelling to us, which is no different at all because it's, it's God attracting human beings to himself and his life. Totally. So totally. it's actually really not that complicated. No, <laughs> we overcomplicate things. We forget what drew us in. I've had the pleasure of talking today with Melina Smith. Mel, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was the best. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. In two weeks, we'll be heading out on pilgrimage with you in tow. I'll share what I saw, heard, found in the birthplace of Shakespeare, scones, and the Anglican Communion. Until then, our producer is Leslie Thompson. I'm Amber Noel, your host. And it's been good to be with you. Peace.